Mexico in a Bottle returns to the Midway SF on Sunday, November 13th for an afternoon celebrating the great spirits of Mexico. Enjoy sipping agave beverages and learning producer stories, processes, and more. There are also selections of Mexican whiskey, rum, gin, liqueurs, beers, and other drinks. Restaurants will be serving up delicious bites paired with cocktail sips as art and music surround you. The story of mezcal and these other elixirs is about more than alcohol. Each bottle contains a piece and flavor of Mexican culture and is a living link to history, tradition, food, art, and music. Life and death all in a bottle. This is what is celebrated at Mexico in a Bottle. For more information and tickets, Google Mexico in a Bottle or follow Mexico in a Bottle on Instagram. We acknowledge and respect the first humans of the unceded land we call San Francisco, the Ramaytoshaloni. We condemn the genocide of these and other tribes across the Western Hemisphere. We honor their legacy and history, and we support rematriation and sovereignty efforts. Hello and welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. I'm not gonna lie, I love dogs. I've lived with dogs for the vast majority of my life. As long as I can remember, I've felt a kinship with them. Whether they lived with me and my family, belonged to friends or relatives, or were strangers I met in the street or the park. I'm very much team dog. My own dog, Koki, just celebrated her 10th birthday, in fact. I also love animals. I don't consider humans to be better than non-human animals, not at all. We're all here on this earth experiencing this wackiness we call life. And I cannot deny the positive impact that pets have on our lives. When I first heard about the pet cemetery in San Francisco, it scored yet another point in the I love this city game. That brings us to the final episode in our San Francisco Cemetery series. Our guide for this podcast will be Rob Thompson of the Presidio Trust. He'll share the history of the city's only known pet cemetery. Here's Rob. So the reason we're here, we're doing a couple of different episodes under the umbrella of San Francisco cemeteries, both existing and not existing, no longer existing. Um, it's a deep topic. Mm, good pun. The puns are going are like all over the place on this one. Uh, I was talking with someone about, you know, there have been several uh, m- moving massive amounts of graves, and I said that must have been a, a massive undertaking. Um, okay, enough about me. Uh, so, so that's kind of the, the broad umbrella. Uh, it's commonly understood that Mission Dolores and Presidio are the existing above ground full burial cemeteries. Is that correct? That's also my understanding, yes. Okay, so we're just going to go with that. Yeah. Um, But we are here specifically because we're in the Presidio and there's the National Cemetery, um, but there's also, some folks might know, a pet cemetery. That's right. So 
tell us what the heck. How did what this? The heck? How did this happen? And it's still here. Is it still active? The pet cemetery in the Presidio has been here since at least 1952. Although its origins are slightly murky, it sits as I was saying earlier, in Cavalry Bowl, which was an area that was dedicated for uh, about a century to animal management. Uh, horses, mules, canine units all operated out of here, and many of them met their official fate at that building right over there, which is a incinerator. Okay. The pet cemetery, however, is a little bit different. It was established and used by army families. The story goes that the commanding officer of the 6th Army in 1952, a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Joseph M. Swing, set up the cemetery, set aside about a half acre, which is where it is still today. That's what's fenced off over here. Exactly. Okay. For army families to use to inter their pets. So this was at a time uh, in the Army's history, in the Presidio's history, when there were uh, a large number of families living here on post, about 2,000 families. This in, is the 50s? In the 50s. So post-World War II. Post-World War II, okay. yeah. So you have all of the young men who served in the uh, Second World War, staying in the military, making a career of it, using the GI Bill and so on, and uh, starting families. The Presidio had and still has thousands of units of family housing. And so this was a very, not only uh, desirable, but an active place for families to be. Army families, though, of course, are transient. They're always coming and going, getting moved around. You always hear that term, I'm an army brat, meaning yeah. I grew up, my parents, and exactly. I moved around all the place, and, all the time. And I'm, I'm one myself, so I can oh. speak to that. So a lot of families here spend a short time um, had come from elsewhere. You'll notice, and we can get into this in some detail, but a lot of the pet names in the pet cemetery are German, which ah. suggests that the families had been stationed in Germany, post-war right. occupation of West Germany, of and course. And they brought home maybe some of the the good parts brought of home Germany. some dachshunds <laughs> and German shepherds <laughs> yes. and and all all the like so, liberated dogs exactly okay so it's it's in that way very much a snapshot of what army life was like in the mid 20th century the story goes that it cost a dollar one-time fee to inter a pet in the pet cemetery I'll re I'll adjust that for inflation I, I later. I was going to do that for oh, you, oh, but great, yeah, no, okay. I, I haven't done it yet. Yeah, you're I, an ideal thought, podcast guest. Right, right. <laughs> I, I was going to do that because it, it's probably more expensive than it seems, wouldn't you say? A dollar in nineteen fifty. A dollar in nineteen fifty. I'm going to guess. I mean, eight or ten dollars. Not probably. Something not like too that. bad. Yeah. In any case, uh, there were um, the the. Um, cemetery was initially maintained by the Boy Scout Troop 77 here in San Francisco, as well as the 505th Military Police Battalion. So it was set up. Exactly. It was set up, maintained uh, under more or less official circumstances for his first couple decades. That maintenance dropped off. There's a legend in the 70s that a mysterious Navy veteran would maintain the cemetery in his spare time, mostly at night. Came and went. Yes. A little bit spooky. I'm intrigued. He was probably just a nice man. Right. And then... And preferred to work alone. Exactly. And then uh, in the 80s and 90s, the Boy Scout, Boy Scout stepped in again 
um, towards the end of the Army's tenure here. And then, of course, the Army leaves in 1994 Four. with the post being turned over to the Park Service for a brief time and then the Presidio Trust. Okay. So to answer your question, uh, it is no longer uh, active. active. Okay. The cemetery is no longer active. We discourage the public from interring new pets there. But it remains a really special place that captures people's imagination and is, uh, is somewhere that we uh, here at the Trust feel very strongly about taking care of as, our, as stewards of this place. Do you know when the last sort of, and, and I don't know if this is even a relevant term, but like official pet burial was? It would have been towards the end of the Army's tenure in the 90s. In the early 90s, okay. And then do you, rough, do you know how, roughly how many pets are buried there? Yeah, there's about 420 markers. We did a survey of the cemetery, which I think I had said is about half an acre, mm-hmm. um, in 2007, and we counted about 420 markers, documented the condition of each of those markers. And it's worth pointing out the markers themselves are all homemade to right. some degree. They're made out of plywood, r- random objects, sometimes cut marble and stone like oh, a real okay. headstone. We can look at some of those when we're down there. For sure. But there, it's very much a vernacular cemetery in yeah. that way. And uh, that that's good from the standpoint of telling a story about how it uh, was created and maintained. Makes a little bit more of a challenge for preserving it for the long term. Right. Is it, to your knowledge, is this the only pet cemetery in San Francisco? To my knowledge, it is. Yeah. Maybe there were some, like there were other cemeteries that don't exist anymore. Maybe. But we're going to go with this is the only one. Let's go with it. Okay. And then I was also thinking when you were talking about when it was started, roughly 1950, or, or specifically 1952 is the date 52. that we, we have documentation of it starting. So if memory serves, the bridge was about 16 years old. I mean, this site, this beautiful site, which we'll get pictures of, was fairly new. And, and the, the picturesqueness of it. Um, do you know if any of that went into it? Or was it just sort of the practical matter of this was like the animal section? My understanding, and there isn't great documentation of this, so this is conjecture on my part, is that it was a practical matter of having some spare space, which would have been picturesque from the standpoint of the view of the bridge, but a little bit less so because it was underneath this high viaduct, which has been reconstructed as part of the Presidio Parkway replacement project. The old viaduct, though, was a pretty noisy clangy kind of thing and um, did uh, interrupt the uh, solemn nature serenity yeah serenity of, of the space a little bit so I think it was more a matter of convenience uh, than uh, views and picturesque right. quality of the space right um, I did have another question that's slipping my mind is there anything else you want to talk about maybe I'll, I'll put it on you <laughs> before we take a walk Um, Yeah, I mean, one of the things that is very intriguing about the pet cemetery is the variety of types of pets that are there. Everything from iguanas to fish, Mm. cats and dogs, birds, rabbits, mice, you name it, they're there. And did you say fish? I did say fish, yeah. And um, 
the, the sweetness of the whole thing. It's clear that children were really involved in, right. in burying the pets there and creating the headstones and writing messages on it. So it's, each one is really like a little postcard mm -hmm. from a child who passed through this place in some cases 70 years ago, which is right. very warm. Right. Um, do you want to talk about the more, I'm going to say illicit <laughs> burials? When that happens, maybe, you know, how do you all handle it? We don't. Okay. Yeah. You just let it be. Just let it be. That's We're not answer. actively managing it to that degree. Right. Okay. I can say a couple of the things about the Doyle Drive construction period because mm -hmm. that was quite dramatic. So... As you and your listeners know, uh, the whole freeway was replaced within the last several years, mm -hmm. beginning in about 2009. Mm -hmm. And the pet cemetery found itself in ground zero for that construction right. activity. It was directly underneath the old high viaduct, which had to come down, mm -hmm. and directly underneath the new high viaduct, which had to go up. So much to their credit, Caltrans, working with us, the trust, built a extremely elaborate structure over top of the pet cemetery to protect it from what wound up being about six years of very active construction overhead. They brought in concrete grade beams that had to be delivered by barge from the bay because they were too big to drive in on the local roads here. Right. Set that up over the pet cemetery and afforded it some extremely heavy-duty construction-grade protection for the duration of uh, the rebuild. So we were really grateful for that. It, it immediately erased what was a lot of speculation and concern on the public's part at the beginning of the Doyle project that the Pet Cemetery wouldn't make it. Right. It has made it. It has, in fact, flourished. And we worked with Caltrans once the project was all over to replace the very emblematic white picket fence that surrounds the pet cemetery now we we made an exact replica of the original which didn't survive the construction period okay that and was the casualty that was the casualty okay that's yeah. a but that's a small okay. price to pay precisely and then back in october 2019 we had a very sweet event where we brought out a bunch of volunteers over two weekends to whitewash the fence again oh nice and uh, i had the pleasure of bringing my two children out to do that so they nice. had their tom sawyer moment out at the pet cemetery <laughs> yes. that they'll always remember nice and don't say that caltrans never cares exactly we have yeah. an example right here we very much do thank you caltrans thank you going back quickly and maybe you mentioned this is it all military family pets that's how or? it originated <laughs> and that's how it spent the army years which is to say up till 1994 it's likely that any illicit burials that happened after that were non-military is that what you guys call them illicit i just made that up <laughs> i i did too yeah no that is uh that is not an official term <laughs> but you can use it <laughs> thank you all right did you have more at your fingertips those are kind of my to... fast facts yeah okay. um if you want to oh actually there is one more anecdote this is a good one Maybe you've heard this one, uh, where, so a little bit of Presidio history. When the Army decided to leave in 1989, the arrangement was always for the National Park Service to take over and for the Presidio to be transferred into the park system as part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. 
there was a big debate in Congress in the late, or excuse me, in the early 90s as this transfer was taking place and a lot of questions were asked about the costs of maintaining the Presidio as a national park given the obligations that the National Park Service already had. Out of DOD? Out of DOD and, and into the National parks. Park. Yeah. So the compromise that emerged from those discussions was the creation of the Presidio Trust as a bipartisan agreement between uh, Democrats led by Nancy Pelosi and Republicans in the House to craft the legislation that created our agency. The Pet Cemetery played a role in that, however, in that a Republican congressman from Tennessee, a guy named John Duncan, sent around to his colleagues pictures of the Pet Cemetery with a, qu a loaded question attached to them saying, does this look like a national park to you? And that it's thought that that played a role in uh, leading the Republican opposition to the Park Service transfer and ultimately the creation of the Presidio Trust. Presidio Trust. So one of the takeaways is there were people who were against having a pet cemetery as part of a national park. Who didn't think it was, yeah, yeah, something special that should be honored as part of the national park, which of course we disagree with today. I Yes, this podcast is going on record as disagreeing with that. Very good. Thank you. Likewise. All right, let's walk. It sounds good. It was a beautiful late summer day when we visited Rob and the pet cemetery. Sounds from cars above us heading to and from the Golden Gate Bridge provided a nice backdrop for our walkthrough. Here's Rob. So you can see right off the bat, we've got some of the creative names and sweet epitaphs. Our knucklehead parakeet to paradise is one of the first headstones that greets you on the left as you walk in the pet cemetery. And some of the earlier ones are here too. This one just to beyond a dear knucklehead dates to 1957. And I believe the original ones are just up here. Mr. Twister and Raspberry. You want to go take a look at those? Let's go take a look. I was going to say these uh, probably wooden headstones are made to look like stone. Correct. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, they, uh, they're shaped like the National Cemetery headstones. In some cases, the families took some liberties. There's one over there that has a crown on the top. It's worn off, but I believe that was Princess the Cat. So uh, people got creative and, uh, and warm with their... Uh, I was going to say it shows the, the length to which people are devoted to their pets. Absolutely. Okay. You were pointing out Schmelly. Schmelly is my favorite. Yeah. Names. I, won I wonder where that name came from. One can only imagine. <laughs> I, I took the liberty of polling my kids. We read through all 420 headstone epitaphs last night in preparation for this podcast, and uh, they picked out some of their favorites. You want me to tell you what they are? 100%. Okay, so... Oh, and how old are your kids, if you mean? kids are 13 and 8. Okay. So, Skipper and Cuddles. Together? Are they together? Those are two different two ones. Different. Wiggles and Noodle. And then my son's favorite was Fang the Cat, who was an agua, or iguana. Ooh, Fang, and called Fang the Cat. Fang the Cat. Okay. D apostrophe. They were. I love it. And I just thought of a question. Are any companion pets buried together? 
I believe so. In fact, uh, Mr. Twister and Raspberry were evidently companions, from what I understand. Let's go take a look. Okay. Okay, these look like actual stone, mar or some sort of granite. Yeah, these, uh, the, the family here went all in, and they're actually newer than I had remembered. So 1988, so this would have been towards the twilight of the Army's time here. But the story goes, and as the headstones indicate, that Mr. Twister and Raspberry were companion pets, uh, basset hounds, I believe, and they passed away close to one another. And here they rest together forever. Beautiful, and there's a little basset hound, uh, little statue under the one of the grave, one of the headstones. It's a nice touch. Smoochie is just behind them. I see. Yeah, Smoochie, a, a pet from Colonel and Mrs. S. H. Crosby, passed away in 1963, 1946 to 1963. That's right. So this pet was born before the cemetery even existed. Indeed, right. And then other little sort of, um, I don't know if offerings is the right word, but on this tree stump, there's, that's not a griffin, but what is that thing with the, it's a, it's a puppy with wings. Puppy with, uh, I'm not really sure what you call that. And a Boston Terrier, yeah. which is, that's a breed near and dear to this podcast. I'm a Boston Terrier. Oh, fantastic. I'm a Boston Terrier human. We've, uh, as part of the Doyle Drive recoup, after we took away the protection, put the fence back up, we've done some plantings in here. So you see some new uh, Monterey pine trees that replace the trees that had to be removed for the construction. So there's some other ornamental plants in here, some jade plants, some uh, other flowering plants that keep this place looking cheerful. And true to San Francisco style, there's a couple of palm trees. Exactly. Why not? There's a Russian-sounding name, Yurikov. Do you know anything about this one? I don't know about Yurikov. Let's see here. What does it say? A proud and lovable Great Dane. That feels very Russian as well. I suppose it does. <laughs> so there's one mystery over here. Oh, yeah. That's worth pointing out. So this is not a pet. This is, in fact, a human burial. This is Margaret O'Brien, who we understood was a washerwoman. So she uh, did laundry for the soldiers here. Um, laundresses or washerwomen were a, a common role in the 19th century army, especially uh, during the period when enlisted men were not allowed to marry. So of course, enlisted men, being men, couldn't take care of themselves or wash their clothes or anything like that. So uh, women were hired on army bases all over the country to perform that role for a fee. It was a business. And here in the Presidio, there was a area behind what's now the Montgomery Street barracks where the washerwomen, the laundresses lived. And there were a series of uh, wooden cabins that were directly adjacent to the enlisted men's barracks. And um, we excavated the remains of some of those Oh, about 15 years ago or so, including some privies, which is where all the good stuff is when you're talking about archaeological excavations, and learned a lot about the lives of the laundresses. So Margaret O'Brien here was one of those, and it's a mystery why she wound up here. Yeah. 
Okay, we like mysteries. I'm looking at a headstone over here to your left for Daisy, and it shows the date of passing as 2004. No comment. So some of the illicit burials come with headstones. They went, they went for it here. What can I say? Okay. I also think I saw a mouse um, walking through the cemetery. Oh, a live mouse. All yeah. right. Yeah. Well, Check, checking in on his fallen friends. Yeah, we don't discriminate here. Live, dead, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome here. Oh. Looks like another companion. Squeaky and Zoe. Was that one of your kids' favorites? Squeaky and Zoe? They're together over here. Tiny Chan, a silky terrier. Hmm. Passed January 9th, 1967. You note a lot of the stenciling on the headstones. It's very military. So you can imagine either asking the post engineers or you know somebody who did other signage around the post to create some of the lettering for the the headstones here some of the let's walk over to this one because some of the writing on these headstones i feel like is um well we talked about it speaks to you know people's devotion and, and love of their animals but there's sometimes some cheekiness or uh, maybe not cheekiness, but so this one uh, was a bunny or a rabbit named Rye, and it says, "Have sweet dreams about carrots." And there's even a carrot stuck in the ground right in front of it. I wonder how often. You didn't get the, the point. Yeah. So there's some playfulness. There's definitely playfulness afoot here. Here's Woody, one great wiener dog, Aloha. Probably speaking to family's time in Hawaii. Maybe that's where Woody the wiener dog was born. Mm -hmm. These two behind appear to have had photographs on the headstones at one time. Looks like those are a bit long gone. And Champagne here, which is a beloved Samoyed. I don't know what kind of dog that is. I, they're they're husky-esque. Okay. Not, maybe not as wolfish as huskies, but yeah. Kind of big um, cold weather dogs. Got it. Well, Samoyed here apparently was, uh, or excuse me, Champagne was apparently born in Sydney, Australia oh. in 1979. And then Stoli on the end is the son of Kiska, Pr Princess Kiska, which is, she's in the middle. Wow, multi-generational. This is a family plot, it looks like. Definitely. Would you, Rob, would you say that there are more dogs than any other type of pet here? Dogs and cats certainly seem to predominate. Speaking to, we mostly, those are the two most popular, probably type of types of pets. I presume so. Yeah. Here's a headstone in the shape of a, like a cat head. Oh yeah. For Blinken L. Todd. Good old Blinken. Oh, Cindy Pooper. And there you go, Cleo the goldfish. I told you there were fish here. Nice. Toby uh, looks like got around like a true army kid from Texas, Maryland, and California. Oh, great. Yeah. Number one cairn dog, the Tincredi family. Huh. Tiki. 
says it all, I guess. Yeah, nothing more needs to be said about that. Pictures still, still in yeah. their frame. How is that possible? 1965, it says. Well, I see screws. Maybe someone comes out here and um, <laughs> <laughs> updates. Every so often. They do look a little sepiaed. suppose that is a ferret or a, a weasel or something platypus <laughs> with the tail. I'm, going, I'm going with platypus wow. there's a maybe just a cat though maybe just a poorly engraved cat I don't know yeah hard to say another sort of Hawaiian illusion yeah hula girl from 1958 with the epitaph, we know love, we had this little dog. That's very sweet. Wiggles, I believe, was one of my daughter's favorites from 1964. Beloved palm of the Kellums. Do you suppose that's a Pomeranian? Is that what the palm refers that's to? That's a really good guess. I, I would, yeah. And this one's interesting. Um, Jeff. Just Jeff. Not that's Jeffrey. That's my name. Just Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, and it looks like the number's one and two. It's not an omen. I'm down for whatever. Yeah. So these little metal stands that you see are an effort that we've taken to try to keep the headstones upright, because of course the wood rots most quickly at the soil level where it's in contact with moisture. Is there any other maintenance that happens? Well, so. As I mentioned, we prepared in 2007 a maintenance plan for the pet cemetery in order to maintain the condition of the existing headstones. And we're rolling that out year over year, um, doing our best to keep up with them. But it's a challenge because, uh, as I mentioned, a lot of these are really homemade headstones made out of scrap wood, painted once and just left behind here, not necessarily built to last. But the challenge is honoring that sort of DIY right. effort. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we, t we tend to take a light touch, but definitely with uh, respect and care towards the families that put their pets here. And how often, or I should say, maybe when do you think the next whitewashing of the fence is gonna need to happen? Ooh, it looks great, by the way. Thank I didn't, that was not a loaded question. <laughs> I am not sure what the painting schedule is for the fence. Probably another couple. Another, Eventually. Yeah, three to five years, I would say. You know, marine environments were real close to the bay. It gets foggy here. And this land all outside of the fences, well, except for the road, but like on these three sides, this is part of the sort of remediation stuff that is going on? Uh, not exactly. So the land around us has recently been planted and restored following the construction of the freeway so this area just to our west was once full of a mature stand of eucalyptus trees so we've replaced uh, a, a, a number of those eucalyptus trees they're teeny tiny now so you can't really see them but they'll get big eventually um, yes we know this yeah they do that <laughs> that's what they do and then to the to the east here uh, the rest of Cavalry Bowl has been planted with native plants, so it'll be this really wonderful meadow of native plants that 
folks who use the trails and the sidewalk and the and the road um, down from the upper post to Chrissy Field can enjoy as soon as they start filling in here. That's a wrap for our series on San Francisco cemeteries. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. We'd like to thank Courtney Minnick, Andy Galvin, Kathy McCall, Lisa Petrie, and Rob Thompson for their collaboration on these episodes. If you have ideas of spots around the city you'd like to see us highlight, please let us know. Our next episode will be all about Alamany Farm and Project 280. Join us next Tuesday for that. Music for Storied San Francisco was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Michelle Kilfeather does original photography for us. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fifth season, we have more than 200 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're able to, please rate and review the show. And drop us a line at storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, weird, and healthy. And we'll see you next time on Storied San Francisco. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.